Health's Perspective, coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kilohertz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and on 11925 kilohertz on the 19-meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisolohoko and Figle Lungwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, African leaders condemn bomb blasts in Ethiopia and Zimbabwe, and EU leaders meet in Brussels to discuss migration crisis. In economics news, South Africa prepares to host the 10th BRICS summit, and in sports news, Japan snatched a two-all draw with Senegal at the World Cup. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussan. At least 32 civilians have been killed and 10 are missing following an attack in central Mali, believed to have been carried out by traditional hunters. The government says 16 bodies have been found. Armed Dozo hunters linked to the Dongon ethnic group are suspected of ambushing the village of Komaga in the Mopti region on Saturday, killing dozens of Fulani herders, including children. Violence has increased over the past three years in central Mali between nomadic Fulani herders, Bambara and Dogon farmers, sparked by accusations of Fulani's grazing cattle on Dogon land and disputes over access to land and water. Zimbabwean President Emerson Mnangagwa has again called for unity after describing Saturday's blast at a political rally as the sixth attempt on his life. Mnangagwa travelled to South Africa in August last year for emergency surgery after suffering reported food poisoning. At least 41 people were injured on Saturday, but the President escaped unharmed. Mnangagwa has called on the people not to be discouraged from their pursuit of peace by such attacks. While the majority of the nation is united behind this dream, there are those who feel threatened by the steps we are taking. They do not want the open and progressive Zimbabwe we are thriving for. Now, some people are trying to kill our dream. While we have all chosen the path of peace, others unfortunately still cling to the tools of violence. However, my fellow Zimbabweans, I assure you, they will not succeed. We will not turn back. The forces of progress cannot be stopped. Now, we as a people must unite. We are one people. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa has extended the country's deepest condolences to Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed and the people of Ethiopia. This follows an attack against civilians at a rally in the capital, Addis Ababa, on Saturday. At least two people are reported to have died in the blast, while more than 150 were injured. Ramaphosa has described shock as expressed shock and dismay at the grenade explosion that struck the rally of supporters, describing it as a cowardly attack. He has wished a speedy recovery to the injured. Turkey's long-standing leader Recep Tayyip Erdogan has won the country's presidential poll a second term as president. He secured nearly 53% of the vote while his AK party was sent for an overall majority in parliament. Erdogan's closest rival, Muharrem Inge, reportedly accepted defeat but added that it was not a fair race. The BBC's Mark Lowen reports. 
Amidst the joy that erupted from Erdogan supporters in Istanbul, there was relief too. Polls had suggested he would struggle to win this election in the first round and that he could lose his parliamentary majority. He'll now adopt sweeping new powers, abolishing the post of prime minister and weakening parliament. The opposition had hoped for so much more. With a charismatic candidate in Muharrem Ince, they felt the side of Turkey that loathes the president's authoritarianism would finally show its strength. Turkey is now an autocracy with a democratic facade. And finally, more than 500 children separated from family members under the U.S. zero-tolerance immigration policy have been reunited with the families after confusion followed President Donald Trump's sudden backtracking on the practice. Trump ended the family separations on Wednesday. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security says 522 children separated as part of the zero-tolerance have been reunited with the families, but another 2,050 53 separated minors remained in the care of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Trump in early May had ordered that all adults crossing illegally would be arrested and the children held separately as a result. That's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. It's 8.06 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. The Ethiopian government is still carrying out investigations to ascertain the source and motive of the bomb attack that happened in the capital Addis Ababa on Saturday during a public rally that was held in honor of the new Prime Minister Abe Ahmed. More than 150 people were wounded in the attack and so far two have died while six are in critical condition. Koleto Anjohi reports. On Saturday morning, thousands of Ethiopians headed to the streets of Addis Ababa for a rally that was organized in support of the new Prime Minister, Abiy Ahmed, who took power in April this year. Abiy has become popular because of some of the political, economic and social reforms that he has announced. He has made a decision to privatize some of the state companies like the National Carrier, Ethiopian Airlines, and the only telecommunication company, Ethiopia Telecom. He has also made other political and security reforms for the betterment of the country. Mobilization for the Saturday rally was made via social media platforms and citizens were excited. I wish, I wish love and peace all Ethiopia in yeah. the world, all Ethiopia. God yeah. bless Ethiopia. Amen. We are bless first, Ethiopia. still we yeah. are first. Yeah. We are first. Yeah. We are, yeah. are Ethiopia. Look at this you. legend, this legend for me, God for us. Ethiopia. God bless Ethiopia. We love you, Dr. Ravi. We love you. However, right after the Prime Minister's speech to an excited crowd, a loud noise was heard and he was whisked away to safety. Kebele Awol says he was at the rally earlier on, but later left to attend to other matters. He had left his friend Girma there. However, he received a phone call later, being informed that Girma had been injured in the blast. I don't think the person who did this is human. A human being has to be valued more than anything. This person who did this doesn't support the government. I don't involve myself in politics, but I gathered with others today for love and peace. That is why we went there, but I'm so sad. Today, Girma lies in hospital in the capital city, Addis Ababa, fighting for his life with injuries to his legs and hands from the bomb attack. He is part of more than 150 people who sustained injuries from the bomb explosion, and 43 are still admitted in different hospitals within the city. Two people have so far died.
Eunetu Biniam is a doctor at the Zeuditu Hospital in Adisababa, one of the hospitals that has admitted some patients. He says once the tragedy happened, all doctors were asked to report to work to attend to the cases, some of which necessitated immediate surgery. So we had um, a couple of patients and uh, they seemed uh, to have sustained a blast injury, like by looking at the wound and um, one of them uh, required um, an emergency surgery because he had a vascular injury to his legs and it was a major vascular injury. So he was in shock and uh, he was operated for that one. And we managed to repair the injury and the bleeding has stopped for now. But he's still in shock and he required more blood. And we had also another patients, two patients, who would need uh, an emergency surgery. The Prime Minister of Ethiopia, Abi Ahmed, has said people who are against the progress in the country must have done the attack. And citizens remain shocked at the act. Uh, Dr. Abi, he is a great essay for him. He is a great gift of God for Ethiopia. And then I'm sorry that what happened in today. So sorry. Ethiopia is the same. No difference. Always peace and love. We love declare from day to day. We don't want a war. We don't want a faith. I'm not happy. I heard very bad things. I'm sorry, because we are Ethiopian. We love each other. I was surprised. I have no idea what's going on there. I can't accept. Ethiopia can never do this. Because yeah. we, we are a different. We yeah. are a different. We are blessed. So far, nine police officers, including the assistant police commissioner, have been arrested. There are allegations from eyewitnesses that the person with the grenade who tried to hurl it at the stage where the prime minister was seated was dressed in police uniform and used a police car. But the government is still investigating and will give proper details with time. Koleto Njohi, Channel Africa Radio, in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Following an assassination attempt on Zimbabwe's president, Emerson Nangangwa, in Bulawayo on Saturday, the ZANU-PF leader has urged citizens to remain calm. At least 49 ZANU-PF supporters, top party officials and security aides were injured when a grenade was thrown towards the head of state at White City Stadium during a campaign rally. Simon Muchema reports from Harare. A few weeks ahead of the 2018 polls, Zimbabwe is at crossroads following an explosion at the White City Stadium in Bulawayo on Saturday. An unidentified device exploded in front of the Zimbabwean president, Emerson Mnangagwa, soon after his address injuring 49 people. This was an assassination attempt. Experts have qualified the attack, but numerous notions are already being thrown onto the table. Some suspect Mnangagwa is not wanted in Bulawayo as he is believed to have been pivotal in the Gukura Wundi era that claimed 20,000 Debele people. On one hand, some felt the November coup that forced Robert Mugabe to resign and ushered in a new dispensation could have created more enemies in the country. Bulawayo is second biggest city and pro-opposition and for some the assassination attempt could have been carried out by anti-ZANU-PF elements. However, Mnangagwa had other ideas and exonerated the opposition and the Debele people. According to Zimbabwean police, 49 people including Vice President Kembo Mohadi, top party officials and cabinet ministers were injured in the attack. The president luckily survived this attack and urged the nation to remain calm as investigations are being carried out. My fellow Zimbabweans, 
in November, we all came together, motivated by a dream, a free, democratic, and a prosperous Zimbabwe, a peaceful Zimbabwe. Though it has not been easy over the past seven months, we have marched together step by step towards this dream. While the majority of the nation is united behind this dream, there are those who feel threatened by the steps we are taking. They do not want the open and progressive Zimbabwe we are thriving for. Now, some people are trying to kill our dream. While we have all chosen the path of peace, others unfortunately still cling to the tools of violence. However, my fellow Zimbabweans, I assure you they will not succeed. We will not turn back. The forces of progress cannot be stopped. Now, we as a people must unite. We are one people with one destiny and one dream. Together, we will prevail. Feeling the pressure of either to impose a curfew or not, government promised to get to the bottom of the matter without prejudicing ordinary citizens. Presidential spokesperson George Charamba told the nation elections in July will take place as scheduled without any hindrances. Well, I think the key thing is that uh, the investigations must uh, proceed unimpeded, and more importantly, the country must uh, recognize that I mean there is an election that must uh, go on and go on in an environment of peace. I mean, after all, what is uh, at the heart of it all is that we must have a free, fair, credible. Uh, internationally recognized the outcome by world that electoral process. Yes, this has happened, and naturally we are a, such a, a country used to uh, so much peace that when an event of this nature happens, uh, the, that's our sense of determined, but I'm sure that uh, we should be able to keep our peace and then move on and uh, proceed with our election program. Meanwhile, the main opposition MDCT, led by Nelson Chamisa, the USA Embassy, as well as the human rights defenders, have condemned this act of terror in Bulawayo. Coincidentally, White City Stadium is the venue where the former First Lady Grace Mugabe was bored, leading to the axing of Mnangagwa from his post as Vice President last year. In Arare, Zimbabwe, for Channel Africa, this is Simon Muchemwa. Zimbabwe's Vice President Constantine Chiwenga says nothing will stop the country's July 30th elections. Chiwenga addressed the ruling ZANU-PF rally in Harare a day after the Bulawayo blast that injured 49 people. Meanwhile, SADC Chair and South Africa's President Sil Ramaphosa condemned the attacks in Zimbabwe and Ethiopia and said he will speak to the regional chair of the organ on politics, defense and security, Angola, to ensure peace ahead of the elections in Zimbabwe. Ntakwanangadani reports. Zimbabweans are still coming to terms with what some call spine-chilling images of fellow Zimbabweans strewn across the grounds of White City Stadium in Bulawayo. Many stunned, but evidently hurt and bleeding. Emergency services carried some onto stretchers, to ambulances, and then to various hospitals. In the aftermath, police say 49 were injured, three critical, but they are still expecting others to come forward. 
Early Sunday morning, President Emerson Mnangagwa delivered an address to the nation. While we have all chosen the path of peace, others unfortunately still cling to the tools of violence. However, my fellow Zimbabweans, I assure you they will not succeed. We will not turn back. The forces of progress cannot be stopped. Now, we as a people must unite. We are one people. And Sunday afternoon, true to the norm he knows, Vice President Constantine Chiwenga, a former commander of the army, was back on the campaign trail in Harare. That nothing will stop the election in Zimbabwe. Nothing at all. That act of terrorism which happened in Blauayo is nothing it does not detain anyone. And he made an ironic promise to fellow presidential candidates who three weeks ago expressed concern about the presence of the army at their rallies with the MDC alliance demanding no deployments. But if the colleagues running for the harmonized election on the 30th of July and are afraid and are scared, they will be given security. Addressing the ANC in Limpopo, Sarah Che, President Cyril Ramaphosa, condemned the attacks in Zimbabwe and Ethiopia. We stand behind the people of Zimbabwe and we support President Munangagwa in his efforts of stabilizing Zimbabwe. I will be speaking to the Prime Minister of Ethiopia later on today and pass on the good wishes of the people of South Africa and to say to him they should not be deterred by these barbaric and cowardly acts. In a statement, the ANC says it views these as barbaric and cowardice acts of assassination attempts and deliberate ploys to destabilize and create disunity and confusion in sister African countries. DA leader Musi Maimani said more than anything, Zimbabwe needs free and fair elections without violence. He said South Africa and SADC must conduct investigations urgently to determine all causes as violence is undemocratic. The EFF says it hopes that peace remains in place in Zimbabwe until the upcoming elections and beyond that to return to its former glory as the breadbasket of Africa. Chairperson of the African Union, Musafaki Mohamed, passed his condolences and wished the injured a speedy recovery. I'm Takwana Ngatani in Johannesburg. For the latest from Zimbabwe, SAFM Stepiso Makwetla earlier spoke to SABC correspondent Effort Musekiwa. The president was not harmed because I think about an hour after the explosion, he gave... Uh, a statement to the state media. He even went about and walked with them at State House just to prove that he was unharmed. Um, about 30 minutes after the interview, he then proceeded to visit the wife of uh, Vice President Choenga at the hospital. Just, I think it was just a further confirmation that he was indeed unharmed. He, was, he actually visited more people that were injured in the blast at the various hospitals in Blaue. Was the vice president himself hurt because there were reports suggesting that he too was one of those who was mildly hurt? 
Okay, the they are, remember Zimbabwe has two vice presidents. There is a retired General yes. Chiwenga, and there is a Kembo Mohadi. Those are the two vice presidents. Uh, the second vice president, who is Kembo Mohadi, is the one who was injured on the legs. And in some pictures, you can actually see blood on his uh, on his on his on his legs. And it was actually confirmed that he was uh, badly injured uh, on his leg. He was actually taken to hospital. Um, then the wife of uh, uh, the first vice president, uh, Chiwenga, is the one who was hurt and was also admitted at, uh, briefly at the hospital in Blauer, then discharged uh, late uh, 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 Saturday night. Mm. As of now, we know the police are saying they're still investigating, but I'd like to talk about what has been a lot of speculation in both Harare and Bulawayo in the sense that some people are speculating on who might be behind it. There's even on social media a meme of former President uh, uh, Robert Mugabe saying Dini Ndakanda, meaning that he was the one who bombed the place. So what has been the response, I mean, the response to this? Well, the police didn't want to dwell much into speculations. All they did is that they've offered uh, a reward to anyone who can give them leads. You know, they they haven't even even given details of what the investigation team have uncovered so far. Or they say that anyone with information should uh, contact the criminal investigation department, and they've offered a substantial reward uh, uh, for anyone with leads. But in terms of speculation, truly, Zimbabweans have always been very... Um, they always find the funny side even to some tragic uh, events. And you see, the, 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 like in particular, the, some of these posts you are referring to, people know that uh, you know, there, is not, uh, there is bad blood between Emerson Mnangagwa and his predecessor, Robert Mugabe. So and the way that president, former President Robert Mugabe was removed from office, has actually led more to the speculation. And um, when asked, uh, when President Mnangagwa was asked who he thought was behind this, he actually said, it, it is not the people of Blau, but my old enemies, we have for years, we have for a long time, have been trying to eliminate me are the ones that are responsible. And that's so, what I want to talk about, Effort, because I saw also a tweet from a Wellens Mujuru saying that in 2014, ED was involved in a car accident. He survived cyanide attack in 2017. But basically saying that the main actor is him. And, and it seems to throw speculation at the fact that uh, some say he may be behind the orchestration of this. Are people being whipped up by such sentiment? You can't stop people from speculating, and we, it is common knowledge that um, Mugabe and Mnangagwa over the last few years have not had uh, a cause relationship. Their relationship had been tense, uh, I think, if, uh, from late tw- uh, 2016, 2017, and up to now. So really, the people actually... Uh, suspect that it it is him or it is people that were uh, uh, linked to former President Robert Mugabe who, who were uh, hurt by the way that uh, uh, former President Mugabe was removed and Emerson Mnangagwa took over. So really that speculation is very rife because of the relationship that has over the years developed between the right. two of them.
That was our Zimbabwe correspondent, Efed Musekiwa, on the line from Bulawayo, speaking to SAFM's Sebiso Makwetla. South Africans must learn to live together. Yes, we can. And resolve our differences peacefully. Yes, we can. Alternatively, the future is very dark. Africa's future is up to Africans. I say this knowing full well the tragic past that has sometimes haunted this part of the world. After all, I have the blood of Africa within me. Join Channel Africa on the 17th of July 2018 as we bring you live coverage of the 16th Nelson Mandela Annual Lecture delivered by the former U.S. President Barack Obama. Channel Africa, the African Perspective. It's 8.25 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The Democratic Republic of Congo's Independent National Electoral Commission says it doesn't need any assistance from the UN mission in the country for the upcoming elections. Both the international community at the UN mission have brought important contribution, including financial, technical and logistics for the previous elections in both 2006 and 2011. Januel Bamweze reports from Kinshasa. The Independent National Electoral Commission is working according to this country's government decision to not accept any support from outside as far as the upcoming elections are concerned. The Democratic Republic of Congo's government has always emphasized that accepting assistance from outside means simply that everything must be done the way the funders want it and not the Congolese way. And indeed, President Joseph Kabila has put it clear more than once, saying the DRC is a sovereign country and doesn't allow foreign countries to interfere somehow in this country's affairs, although their advices are welcome as friend countries. The Independent National Electoral Commission has then rejected any help from both the international community and the UN mission here in the Democratic Republic of Congo, MONUSCO, that has always brought a significant support to the electoral process here. These days, no assistance is needed and the Congolese government will fund the whole electoral process. That's indeed what the Electoral Commission's President Corne Nanga said. I have no assistance to ask as the government has decided to not ask any international assistance for these elections. It's not a problem of the commission. The Democratic Republic of Congo's independent National Electoral Commission has benefited a lot from the international community for the electoral process in both 2006 and 2011. The UN mission here has always been involved in this country's electoral process to which it brings important assistance including both technical and logistic. It's indeed MONUSCO that has helped the commission to bring registration equipment and staff in remote zones. MONUSCO's current mandate includes a support to make sure the elections are held on December 23rd as expected. Florence Marshall is the UN mission's spokesperson here. MONUSCO is here to support. We follow every step in the implementation of the electoral calendar that was published and presented by the Electoral Commission beginning of November 2017. But I would like to recall you that the organization of elections fall under the responsibility of all Congolese stakeholders 
and not Monusco. Monusco is here to support, especially technically and logistical way. But let's wait for what will happen regarding this issue. The mandate given to us by the Security Council is very clear. It's to provide a logistical support and technical assistance. So we can encourage them to organize the election in peaceful, transparent and credible way. Meanwhile, the Independent National Electoral Commission has started receiving candidacies in its different offices all over the country for the provincial elections. The operation was launched on Saturday here in Kinshasa. It's indeed three elections that will be held the same day here in the Democratic Republic of Congo on December 23rd, and those are the presidential poll, the national and the provincial parliamentary elections. Jean-Noël Bamweze for Channel Africa in Kinshasa. A group of European leaders have been meeting in Brussels to try to find unity on deals with the EU's migration crisis. Rescue ships have been stranded in the Mediterranean Sea over the last couple of weeks as Italy and Malta have stopped them from docking. Jack Parrick reports from Brussels. Floating at sea with around 230 mainly African asylum seekers on board, refused to dock in Italy and Malta. The Lifeline is the second such rescue ship to be rejected in as many weeks. It's the backdrop for the special summit of 16 European Union leaders here in Brussels, an attempt to unify deeply divided countries. Angela Merkel is the German Chancellor. Unfortunately, we will not have a complete solution of the migration issue. That's why there will be bilateral and trilateral agreements, how we can help each other. And it was the German leader who called for this summit. Her coalition government partners from the southern German region of Bavaria are threatening to turn asylum seekers away at the border unless other EU countries agree to take in more people. The current plan here in Europe, which is controversial, is to set up asylum centres in North African countries with most of the people entering the European Union leaving from the Libyan coastline. Joseph Muscat is the Prime Minister of Malta. What we need is operational action. There are people at sea right now. We are in a situation where if we don't take decisions within the coming days, the situation will escalate. What I heard today, what we, I think, converged on today is a signal that there is probably a willingness to go for some operational changes. But no North African countries have agreed to host any centres as yet. Tunisia, for instance, says it will refuse. And insecurity in Libya is likely to prevent the EU from being able to set them up there. Only around 41,000 asylum seekers have entered Europe this year, far off the 1 million who arrived in 2015. No firm action is to be taken after this special summit, but 28 leaders from all the EU countries are coming here to Brussels on Thursday for another summit. Their hope is that they'll be able to create some kind of new deal on migration. Jack Parrick, Brussels. Our headlines up next with Anne Moussa.
A very good morning to you, um, Anne Musan. The headlines, Zimbabwe's Vice President Constantino Chiwenga says nothing will stop the presidential elections next month, describing Saturday's explosion in Bulawayo as an act of terrorism. Nigerian President Muhammadu Buhari called for calm after 86 people were killed in northern Plateau State and 32 civilians have been killed and 10 are missing following an attack in central Mali believed to have been carried out by traditional hunters. Those are the stories making headlines. Thank you, and It is 8.32 Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Our South Africa's Human Sciences Research Council released the results of a study on the voices of critical skilled migrants in the country last Friday. The study conducted in the Gauteng province investigates ways in which South Africa could attract, retain and integrate skilled immigrants into different sectors of the economy. For more on this, we are now joined on the line by Dr. Emmanuel Owusu Sekere, Chief Research Specialist at the Africa Institute of South Africa, a unit of the Human Sciences Research Council. Good morning, Doc, and thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Now, Doctor, let us in on the findings of the study and how it was conducted. Well, um, this study was about how South Africa can achieve skill security for its growth and development. Um, as you're probably aware, um, almost every country in this world is looking for additional skills, um, from the most developed like the USA, Canada, etc., to the least. And um, South Africa, in particular, has lost a number of skills uh, since 1994 in, very, in the both the professional, semi-professional, technical, administrative, several categories of skill. Um, there's been a constant skill out to after today, uh, and unfortunately, um, there hasn't been an aggressive um, skills planning or development in place to replace the skills lost. Apart from that, uh, post-94, the economy experienced significant expansion, which increased the demand for skilled labor, and the HIV-AIDS pandemic also took its toll on, 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 on the labor force, irrespective of level of skill. So South Africa after today continues to lose skills and also affected by several other factors as well. And so we wanted to find out, um, luckily South Africa has been able to design a, what you call a critical skills list and know exactly who they want and in what quantities. But the challenge has been that it's been very difficult to find the people they're looking for in the right categories. At the same time, we have a, uh, quite a chunk of unemployed people, unemployed graduates at home. And we also have a high level of unemployment around uh, 50 to 60% among the youth. And so the problem is, um, how do you, what do you do with unemployment you have um, at the lower to middle level skills category, and how do you fill the high level skills that you don't have? So we, we this what I said, we looked at, and then we looked at um, who South Africa's competitors, competitors are, who is grabbing the skilled people from, from African countries. Um, we, the continent as a whole, not just South Africa, has experienced significant, what you call a brain drain. People have been leaving the country constantly for greener pastures. And unfortunately for us, as Africa, we are the grocery shop of the world and we're looking for skills. Now, so Doctor, 
sorry to cut in there, but just just to find out, um, you say Africa as a whole, as a continent, is experiencing a brain drain. Now, right. what what would make South Africa as a country, um, you know, be the country of choice in in terms of critical skilled uh, migrants and the continent as a whole? Yes, we, we asked them, we asked this question, the few contestants who are here, what made them choose South Africa and not other countries? They gave uh, reasons such as uh, South Africa's economy is relatively more stable than their, their respective economies in their home countries. And South Africa's emerging market <coughs> has more opportunities for them at their level of skill, being so highly skilled. And South Africa having very few of such people who are so highly skilled. They also mentioned that there's more room for intellectual development here in South Africa than in their home countries. Again, South Africa is closer to their home countries than flying 16 hours or 18 hours to the U.S. or somewhere, Latin America or wherever else you want to go. And they also mentioned the fact that South Africa's technology, technological infrastructure and physical infrastructure is at par with developed countries and world-linked global systems. And, and they saw that it was, it was much of a priority for them to be here than in other um, faraway countries, what they call colonialist countries. Now, the U, you've mentioned the U.S., the fact that uh, they do fly out uh, or, you know, the, the, the distance is, 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 is not uh, the best choice or the best option for them. But uh, looking at uh, South Africa's competitors and attracting critical skilled migrants, um, which countries are these and uh, why are they able to source or, or attract these uh, migrants that South Africa as a country is not able to? Well, the U.S. is one of them, uh, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, uh, all, all the European countries, and, and even China, uh, with a population of 1.3 billion, they're still looking for skills. They just came out with Now, what did they do to make them competitive or advantage? First of all, they, they, they have a proactive immigration policy stance. Uh, South Africa has brilliant policies on paper, but nobody uh, hears about it, nobody knows about it, because South Africa does not market itself based on what it has or what it has designed to the target group they designed it for. These countries do that very well. They have online point systems. Their embassies have open days and recruitment days in the various countries where they are. They also collaborate with the universities. They go to universities and ask them who is from which country outside this country and whether they're studying in any of the critical school areas that we need people. So they collaborate. They universities a lot. Just before graduation, we have open days on campus and they speak to people who are who are specialized in areas that their respective countries lack skill. So they don't allow the people to graduate and leave. They actually recruit them before they have opportunity to leave. And that's something South Africa does not do. Secondly, they also um, have very good programs to integrate these migrants into society. So it's a nationally driven program. The integration, the language, you have to learn a language like in German, you must learn German. And they also have programs that introduce these people to the society with the communities they're going to work. You have to send a medical doctor to a township. There's their process to introduce the township. The township just knows, oh, there's a new doctor, there's a new uh, surgical nurse, or there's a new pediatrician. He's from that country. So it fosters peaceful cohesion and avoids, and social cohesion avoids the xenophobic attacks and misunderstandings and tensions between locals and foreigners. That's also something South Africa does not do. And they have easier processes to, to, towards citizenship and permanent residency uh, and more clarity in, 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 their, in their regulations and immigration policy, uh, which is also another area of challenge for South Africa.
Now, what are your suggestions for South Africa's government in terms of going forward after um, this research was done and uh, the results, uh, um, you know, issued on Friday? What needs to happen going forward and who should drive this process to ensure that South Africa um, gains the critical skills that are required in the country? Or you may find that the skills are already in the country and it's just an, an issue of integrating or integration of migrants in the country's uh, labor market? There are a number of things that have to be done. First of all, South Africa, South Africa must take a, a proactive policy stance, a reactive policy stance, and be more aggressive and talk about what it has. South Africa has fantastic things in terms of policy. I, I, I won't lie about that. South Africa has great policies. They need to talk about them. They need to market them to the people they're looking for. And then also, have the, in that proactive stance, you'll be able to select from that huge crowd coming in who you want and who you don't want. South Africa is the most popular in intra-African migration destination, but the problem, everybody comes, and South Africa gets more of what it does not want and very little of what it actually needs. So that, that's a challenge there. The other issue is that um, to address this issue, you need, a, you need a, a, a short-term measures, medium-term measures, and long-term measures, right? South Africa needs skill, and it needs jobs for the youth and unemployed graduates. Okay, so first of all, it, the short-term measure is that a run that does that very well. Whichever critical skill you bring in, they are assigned a certain number of young graduates to develop by the end of their contract. They must be as good as you. So the skills transfer to local South Africa's educated graduates is there, right there in the short term, immediately. In the medium term, the incentives must, must be put in place to, to lure the young graduates to stay in the areas where we lack skill so that we, are, we start developing people in the areas. Everybody goes in university and that becomes something. And the BCOM area is very crowded, and you see other places where very few people are tend to go. So incentives are put in place to direct the young people, direct the youth to stay in the areas where we need. In the long term, we need to have very strong skills transfer uh, mechanisms in place to make sure some of the graduates unemployed have to be reskilled and retooled to work in other areas because where they studied is saturated. And one other thing that South Africa must check is that we need to allow more companies into South Africa to set up jobs to create job opportunities for the graduates who are unemployed. There are very strong entry barriers, like high minimum capital requirements for any company coming in, very complicated processes. What we need to do is reduce those minimum capital requirements. I mean, I may not be able to employ 100 people. Maybe I can employ 20 people. But if 10 more people like me come in and everybody employs 20, we have created 200 jobs. So we need to check what's the barrier and what's the, an enablement to, to better address South Africa's development challenges. We must link our policies to addressing our development challenges so that we can solve the problems we have, like unemployment, a very difficult one. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us. We'll leave it there for now. That was Dr. Emmanuel Owusu Sekiere, Chief Research Specialist at the Africa Institute of South Africa, a unit of the Human Sciences Research Council. The world remains beset by so much human suffering, poverty, and deprivation. It is in your hands to make of our world a better one for all. From July 18, raise your hand and make a dedicated effort to keep helping others in any way you can. Make every day a Mandela Day. It is in your hands to make a difference. Today is Monday, June the 25th, and it's the 176th day of 2018, with 189 days left in the year. And today, 
In 2009, death claimed Michael Jackson, the King of Pop in Los Angeles, at the age of 50. Let's listen to Jermaine Jackson paying tribute to his brother while holding a press conference at UCLA Medical Center about his sudden death. This is hard. Um, my brother, the legendary King of Pop, Michael Jackson, passed away on Thursday, June 25th, 2009 at 2.26 p.m. It is believed he suffered cardiac arrest in his home. However, the cause of his death is unknown until results of the autopsy are known. His personal physician, who was with him at the time, attempted to resuscitate my brother. And uh, as did the paramedics who transported him to Ronald Reagan UCLA Medical Center. Upon arriving at the hospital at approximately 1.14 p.m., a team of doctors, including emergency physicians and cardiologists, attempted to resuscitate him for a period of more than one hour, and they were unsuccessful. Our family requests that the media please respect our privacy during this tough time. And uh, may Allah be with you, Michael, always. Love you. That's Jermaine Jackson paying tribute to his brother Michael, the King of Pop, shortly after his death on this day in 2009. It is 8.45 Central African time and our economics update up next with Tabiso Lohoku. Good morning. South Africa's richest Bay Coal Terminal has boosted productivity and improved turnaround times after a 98 million US dollar machinery upgrade. RBCT, Africa's largest coal export facility, launched the project to replace its Asian machines with the aim of sustaining the terminal's 91 million ton capacity. That the process has also increased efficiencies. The company says it's already enjoying several operation efficiencies in the new machines. The project installed two new rail-mounted stacker reclaimers, which scoop up and transfer coal into and out of the yard, and it's rail-mounted shiploaders. South Africa will host the 10th BRICS Summit in Johannesburg next month. The week-long summit will be attended by heads of state of five member states, namely Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa. This is the second time South Africa is hosting the summit after uh, the one held in 2013. The five BRICS countries account for 25% of the world landmass are now home to 43% of the world's population. This year's BRICS summit will tackle issues related to gender inequality youth unemployment and how the five countries can improve political and economic relations. Amina Akram reports. South Africa took over the rotational chairship of BRICS to host the 10th summit. The summit will showcase the cooperation that the five countries enjoy. The summit will also discuss challenges and achievements made on development, inclusive economic growth and trade amongst the countries. 
President Ramaphosa has been calling for strength and cooperation between the BRICS and wants the countries to invest more amongst themselves. In 2015, total intra-BRICS trade amounted to 3 trillion rands. Amina Akram, SABC News, Johannesburg. The development of Namibia says prevailing tight economic conditions in the domestic economy will not last forever. Although it calls for cautious optimism given the marginal improvement shown in the quarterly economic performance as indicated by the Namibia Stats Agency recently, potentially better macroeconomic conditions lie ahead. However, the enterprises have been warned to be prepared as recession is cyclical and would recur. Botswana's Minister of Finance and Economic Development, Kenneth Matambo, says at the end of March 2018, there were nine international financial institutions, including regional financial institutions that the Botswana government owed. He was responding to a question in Parliament about the names of international financial institutions, including regional ones owed and how much each institution was owed, including the original loan amount. Interest charged, outstanding balance to be paid, and the terms of payment. The days of receiving unsolicited text messages from supermarkets and betting companies are numbered. Kenyan companies that hold consumer information will now have to seek permission first before collecting, processing, or storing personal data if a proposed new law comes into effect. The Data Protection Bill 2018 contains provisions that will significantly change how public and private entities handle information entrusted to them. According to the bill, companies will now have to inform users of any personal data they are collecting. The purpose for collecting the data and how long the same will be stored. The US dollar trades at 10.16 in Botswana Pula. It's at 10.2 in Zambia. In BRICS currencies, the US dollar trades at 3.78 Brazilian real. At 62.96 Russian ruble and at 67.66 Indian rupee. 6.50 Chinese yuan, 13.39 to the South African rand. It's also trading at 75 pence to the British pound and at 85 cents to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,268. Platinum, $870 an ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is at $74.17 a barrel. From an African perspective. So, Roger Federer is not number one anymore. No, uh, he lost it. He lost it at the last minute, losing against a, you know, a not so, he was not in, in, in any book bookmaker's uh, choice that he would win uh, this uh, Croatian uh, courage. Mm. But now he beat them. He's no longer number one. But it's, it, uh, we, we will see. I think Roger is using this not to be number one, but to prepare for Wimbledon. Well, Exciting times. Yeah, exciting Wimbledon is starting in the middle of the World Cup. We'll be having Wimbledon. So we'll be having lots of, of sports <laughs> to look forward to. Give us an Starting update. July.
In our sports update, we continue with what's happening in Russia. Getting excited now, Argentina legend Diego Maradona has requested a meeting with the national team players in an attempt to inspire the struggling squad ahead of the crucial final World Cup group game against Nigeria. The two-time world champions must beat Nigeria in St. Petersburg on Tuesday if they are to avoid a premature exit following a disastrous 3-0 defeat by Croatia. He said he would bring along other Argentina greats of the past for the motivational talk. Maradona has criticized coach George Sampaoli and striker Sergio Aguero in recent days. Also took aim at Argentina Football Association AFA President Claudio Tapia in his latest outburst. Bafana Bafana legend Steven Pinar believes that either Brazil, Spain, Belgium and Germany are the favourites to win the FIFA World Cup currently underway in Russia. The second round of matches is taking place in a tournament that has seen so many upsets so far. Pre-tournament favourites Argentina are in danger of going out after losing to Croatia, while the likes of Germany started the campaign with a surprise defeat against Mexico. Here is Steven Pinar. Um, obviously, there's there's a few countries uh, I think that uh, that are favourites uh, to win: uh, Brazil, Germany, Spain. Um, I think they they top four. That uh, I think if one of them don't win it, then I don't know what's happening in Russia. <laughs> yeah, Belgium. Uh, you can't say they're dark horse because they're among uh, among the favourites uh, to win it with, with the squad that they have, with the players that they have. I think they're up there with the favourites. But if you're talking about a dark horse, then you have to go for the smaller countries, uh, maybe Russia, for, for instance, uh, to win it, because no one is expecting them to, to win the World Cup. So uh, I think that's a dark horse for you. Home. Springbok 7's captain Philip Neyman is in line with, for a third consecutive Rugby World Cup 7's appearance after being named in the training squad. A tournament will be played in San Francisco from the 20th to the 22nd of July. Sneeman is also a three-time winner of the World Rugby 7 Series with the Blitzbox. Coach Neil Powell kick-started the final preparations for the American showpiece in Stellenbosch with a training camp consisting of Sneeman and other 14 players. The coach who also played the World Cup in 2009 will name a 12-man squad and two reserve players in the week before the team departs for San Francisco on the 14th of July. And two-time Masters champion Babas Watson fired a seven-under pass. 63 on Sunday to chase down Britain's Paul Casey and win the USPGA Travelers Championship by three strokes. The 39-year-old American took his 12th career USPGA title and third Travelers crown, having also won at the Cromwell Connecticut layout in 2010 and 2015. Watson also became the first three-time USPGA winner this year after having taken titles at the Riviera in February and the WGC Match Play Championship. In March, Bona Koric ended Roger Federer's 20th match winning streak on grass, beating him 7-6-3-6-6-2 in a hail Open final yesterday while also bringing to a halt the Swiss Maestro's reign as world number one. He says, very happy about that. Yes, absolutely. It was, uh, it was the most humble week of my whole life. You know, I was really playing very, very good for the whole week. Um, I was serving very big also today, so you know, I'm just, uh, I'm just very pleased with the whole week. Fedra was denied the 10th title in Germany grass court tournament as Croatian courage handed the 36-year-old his first setback on an otherwise serene road towards defending his Wimbledon title. The defeat meant that Rafa Nadal would return to the top of the world rankings. Courage playing in his first grass court final showed great mental toughness and determination to, to, to fend off two set points before clinching the open set after 57 minutes. Uh, you know, in, uh, in the tiebreak, I think I was just a little bit lucky, to be honest. I, I saved, uh, I think, two set points, and 
on one of them I was actually really, really lucky now I remember, so, you know, I needed some luck today as well, and, you know, that's, uh, uh, yeah, that's the tennis end of the day. That's a sport news this hour. Channel Africa brings you wall-to-wall coverage of the 2018 FIFA World Cup finals in Russia. Visit our dedicated World Cup page on www.channelafrica.org.za for in-depth coverage which includes previews, reviews, analysis, breaking news and a podcast of latest interviews. We will also bring you the very latest news from Russia with our Nigerian correspondent Tony Ubani and the BBC's reporters in our daily hourly sports bulletins and on the Africa at Play sports show on Friday, Saturday and Sunday from 5pm to 6pm Central African time. Channel Africa, your home of the 2018 FIFA World Cup Finals. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, African leaders condemn bomb blasts in Ethiopia and Zimbabwe, and EU leaders meet in Brussels to discuss migration crisis. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuzo Ramagaza and Jane Rabutata, technical producer Mario, well, Technical producer uh, with us today is not Mario. And the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us a WhatsApp message on 277-6300-3327. Tweet us at Rise Africa or send an email at info@channelafrica.org. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa's Michael Jackson, who died on this day in 2009 with a song titled Liberian Girl. Thank you.